0: Hi, welcome back friends, it's Cindy Silva with the Metaphysical Wisdom Podcast. I've invited my friend, Nick Loffrey here today. Hi, Nick. Hi. Welcome, thanks for saying yes to the invitation. Yeah. Good to see you again. I've been doing a series of conversations on Qigong and wanted to bring some of the people I've met along the way in to share experiences and all the good news about Qigong. Nick is one of those individuals. I met Nick, I think four years ago, maybe more, maybe five at uh, 1440. And we were attending a teacher training with Roger Yonka. And Nick led a beautiful Qigong class on the deck surrounding the redwoods and we were surrounded by beautiful energy, but it was the power of your voice and the chi that you were commanding through your voice and, of course, the direction and skill of a teacher. But really, I was like, oh, this, this person is going to be famous. I really felt that.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And so um, I want to just open that, that portal for you to share from there and where you've come since then, and we'll see where it takes us.
1: Yeah, well, you kind of hit the nail on the head that teaching Qigong isn't just about giving people instructions about how to move their body or their breath or even their mind. But it's really a form of hypnotherapy Mm -hmm. where you're putting people into a trance state through the slow movements and slow breathing and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then in that suggestive hypnotic state, then your voice can command... The chi to move inside them and so if you if uh, for instance right now i told you oh imagine a red light in your heart making your heart warm and joyful and full of gratitude maybe you'd feel like a little bit of something but if first we did 10 minutes of qigong and you got into a suggestive state and then i said imagine red light in your heart bringing warmth and peace and blah, blah blah you'd feel it 10 times more, right? It's mm-hmm. the same reason a hypnotist doesn't just start with giving hypnotic suggestions, but they start with swinging the watch back and forth or telling you to slow down your breathing. And we're going to count through 10 breaths. Each breath, you're going to be more relaxed, right? They put you in a suggestive state first, and then they have an ability to sort of reprogram your subconscious. That's so how I really think of teaching Qigong uh, very similar. So interesting that you know, <laughs> noticed that.
0: Yeah. Already. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you. That's... So have you integrated any NLP in your?
1: Not consciously, though. My main teacher, Lee Holden, who I interned with for a few years, um, his mom was an NLP practitioner. Him and His mom and dad were both like meditation teachers, and hypnotherapists um, while he was growing up. And so they were hypnotizing him to help him sleep and all kinds of stuff when he was a kid. And I think he, you know, subconsciously absorbed a lot of that. And it went into a lot of his teachings, whether he liked it or not. So <laughs> it may have absorbed a little more of that than I am aware of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely noticed that just in the slowing down is a hypnotic entrance, right? Like just mm-hmm. slowing down the breath and slowing down the voice and has uh, an effect on the brain waves, right? That we mm-hmm. can get into these other states and have a, uh, a more direct experience of what we call chi, you know, this subtle field that's everywhere all the time. We're swimming in it and then having a direct conscious relationship with that and uh, directing it for specific purposes. So say some things about that and your particular, um, if you have a niche or a particular direction that you're taking your teaching that's unique to you.
1: Yeah, I think I've been pretty broad about it so far, but I guess the way, the main direction I've tried to take it in recent years is um, just to try to find a language that makes it make sense to people who aren't already into woo-woo stuff. Mm -hmm. So people are already into like new age stuff, woo-woo stuff, Eastern medicine stuff, like this, it all completely clicks with them, but that's like such a small percentage of people There's so many people who just need, you know, the benefits of stress reduction, uh, activating their body's ability to heal itself. You know, we live in this uh, environment with all these new chemicals and all kinds of stuff that, like, does not make it easy to be healthy. And so I feel like people need more tools to help combat that. I think even with a perfect diet and everything, like, we're just... We're just in this weird novel environment that human beings and animals have never existed in before and so whatever can help our body to reconnect to its inner nature and power for healing i think everybody needs that and it doesn't have to look like qigong for everybody but it's the tool a lot of people can benefit from but a lot of people are going to be very stubborn too there's going to be christians who think it's some kind of satanic practice to invite demons into your body there's going to be Atheists and scientific materialists who think she is this woo unproven idea So I think uh, I've just been trying to find language to make it not offend people's intelligence uh, and To feel inclusive in a way that they don't feel like they're like joining a cult or something or have to believe a bunch of random stuff or have to wear weird clothes whether that's you know, pretending you're Chinese or Pretending you're a hippie in a commune or whatever, you know, dressing like an elf or <laughs> whatever. Hippies dress like these days. And it's like you just wear like your normal gym clothes. Like you can, you do have to wear gym clothes, dude. your Qigong, but you don't have to learn a whole new language. There's nothing, none of that. You're just changing your breathing and movement, and you're gonna feel better. Like that's kind of what I've been going for.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems to be working for you. I've just watched you grow, just incredibly. And you've got the whole package. I mean, I watch your videos. It's so professional. And you're in these most beautiful scenes. And you've got this beautiful entry to every video of the music. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've really done well with how you have <clears throat> created the container for moving this out into the world. And you've got your own teacher funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, the video part's actually really funny because... I moved to, I was born in Toronto and raised there and moved to California when I was 23 or four uh, to study Qigong with Lee Holden. And I was just planning to, you know, get, become a waiter or do construction or something to pay for me to live there while I studied with Lee. Um, But I wound up lucking out. And as soon as I got there, his assistant was moving to another state and he needed a new assistant to run the front desk and edit the videos and all kinds of stuff like that. So got a job doing that. And that meant I kind of had to like learn on the fly, like how to do video editing and how to make posters and all the graphic design. And so I'm kind of started out just Googling how to do every little thing I needed to do. And eventually uh, Lee's online business kind of started making more money and they hired a full-time video guy, but then I kind of became his assistant. So I got kind of a dual apprenticeship where I'm like apprenticing with Lee and his like Chinese medicine clinic and qigong workshops and everything, and then apprenticing under this video guy who was teaching me everything he knew about videography, and mm. so I really got like a the perfect skill set to be a qigong YouTuber. <laughs> um, so, and then funny enough, when I was a kid, um, my whole childhood, I told everybody, everybody I met, like you couldn't get me to like I just random strangers, like you couldn't get me to not tell people this, like I was gonna be a zoologist who ma- traveled the world making nature documentaries.
0: Right.
1: wow and uh you could <laughs> could it like you couldn't get me to not tell people it was like the first thing out of my mouth everybody I met like <laughs> I was obsessed with that dream and uh and then I kind of forgot about it in high school because I did a lot of drugs and went to a mental hospital. I kind of forgot about all that you know but just randomly you know the way my career wound up panning out is uh I travel around filming in nature finding the most beautiful places and the only difference is I am the animal because I you know, teach qigong. So I'm teaching monkey qigong and bear qigong and qigong. So <laughs> I was really, picking up on my, that. My dream accidentally uh, panned out.
0: Yeah, it's you know, there's no accident. Like the way that you were positioned in that role at that time, where that transition was happening for Lee. It's like it's all you know. It was all there the whole time. It was just unfolding, and now you can look back in hindsight and see and know for sure. That you're tracking your talent, you know, and and people are really showing up for you and drawing it out of you, which creates yeah, even is, more uh, momentum.
1: Who said that? Joseph Campbell. He says uh, when you follow your bliss, doors will open where once there were walls. So it's, mm. It really is like the universe kind of there's like, there's an interaction between the human mind and the universe as a whole, right? And you call that interaction the Tao or God or whatever, but. It's it's pr- it's pretty undeniable. Sometimes it's some some things that happen are just too weird to to be. Questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the part of uh, another reality or plane with different laws, penetrating yeah. this and having a yeah an experience oh. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just really yeah happy that you said yes to coming on and sharing this and you do have quite a story of how you did kind of allude to it by when you were younger you did drugs and and how qigong kind of came in at that time as well not just for this intersection of being mentored uh by lee and the videography but also there was a healing that was occurring for you right and yeah now you've really embodied the qi and the qigong, the cultivation. And um, it's almost like there was a fracturing and then you applied your knowledge, came back into wholeness. And now you're transmitting it from this place of really embodying the experience of healing, not just talking about it or reading it out of a book. And I feel that that has a different power to it in the transmission as well. Um, so as much or as little as you want to share about your healing journey with Qigong personally, um I want to give you space for that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess it started uh, you know, when I was like thirteen or something, started smoking weed and everything and super fun. And <laughs> up until that point, uh, I guess uh part of the reason I really initially got into it was um I was kind of like really small when I was 13 compared to everybody else, like I was a little late bloomer. And so I got kind of picked on a lot of stuff. And, but when I smoked weed for the first time, suddenly I had this sense of humor and I could make people laugh mm-hmm. and that became like my superpowers. I could smoke weed and be funny. And, uh, it didn't matter that I was little and scrawny and had a high voice and everything. I was a funny guy. So, uh, got really into it for that. And, and, uh, and uh, one day we got some magic mushrooms. When I was like 15, and um, I didn't really know what they were supposed to do other than hallucinations. So I like in my mind it was just like, oh, this is gonna be fun, like weed, where you like you're just gonna laugh and you're gonna see things. Like I imagine, like I'd see like elephants walking around the room or something. More some zoo- people I think <laughs> what
0: more zoology.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought they'd be purple elephants, I guess, but uh, um. And for some people, I think that is the case, like they do like a psychedelic like mushrooms, and they just like see things and it's fun. And But uh, a lot of people, it's not like that at all. And I was one of those people. And what I what happened to me was I, my ego completely dissolved. I'm 15. I don't know what an ego is. Right. And, and I totally lose the sense that like, there's any me at all or any difference between me and the rest of the universe and God. And, um, and I just got connected to this like infinite pattern of energy where like everywhere I looked, everything was infinity and infinity was God. And I was infinity and it was just enter. Everything was energy and infinite energy. And there was no me. Like every time I try to think like, Oh wait, but I'm Nick. Wait, no, that's just my name. Well, these are my parents. Well, those are just my parents, but that's not me. And I couldn't find anything that I could call me. Yeah. And it totally terrified me. I thought I was going to die. And, uh, I got very paranoid that, uh, um, if I stopped, if I let go of control, that like, I would die. So like, if I stopped thinking about breathing, that my breath would stop breathing itself, right? And so I sat there like breathing as hard as I could for a while. And uh, eventually, I just realized like, like, there's just too much fear. Like, I can't deal with this much fear. So I got to let go. And I kind of just like allowed myself, like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die and I let go. And, And instead, I had this like, beautiful experience of Like it was this vision that I was like a fetus because I just watched uh, 2001, a space odyssey with the, when the guy dies, he becomes a fetus, right. Floating through space. But I was a fetus and I was in this infinite space full of other fetuses. And we had umbilical cords made of like vines that all connected together. And it was like, we were just in the giant womb of the universe. And, and I just, I don't know, I had this huge sense of peace that like death wasn't the end and all this stuff. And. Anyways, I came out of that, and I'd been raised uh, Christian, and it just left me all these questions. Like, well, it doesn't seem like God is like an old man, like in the sky somewhere. Like, God is everywhere and everything, and I'm God, and this is God, and uh, and it just it really disillusioned me about religion. And so that was kind of one of the maybe the last anchors to like a healthy social world that like fell away. Was like now my childhood religion and my parents are lying to me about God and. And um, so I think that was a turning point, positive and negative, where positive was like, I knew that there was like this mystical experience to be had, but negative was like I got really untethered from any like cohesive social reality and stuff. And uh, anyways, me and my friends just kept going deeper into psychedelics and LSD. And, um, and a lot of those experiences were incredibly healing and powerful. And, you know, a lot of the insecurities I had growing up and stuff like would, I'd you know they'd get i'd see some vision that like helped me overcome that or i'd have different experiences with god where um like one was an lsd like i saw, like the whole sky was made of white light and our everybody's mind was like a mirror of that white light and we were all just the same reflection of this white light and then it looked like i was in a hall of mirrors and everybody i looked at was just i was just looking at my own reflection and so really cool beautiful experiences like that uh, but then also just like this increasing like drug dependency where, mm-hmm. although the psychedelics that I was doing every few months had these like really beautiful and often like reorientating experiences. Like I did mushrooms one time and like realized like, oh my gosh, my dad's right. I should study hard in school and like get a good job because I want to have a family one day. And like, you know, mushrooms and stuff usually make people go, I got to stop listening to my parents and be more wild and free. but. For me, it was like, oh my gosh, I should study and go to school and stuff. But uh, in between those, it's like we were just, me and my friends were just kind of drug fiends. Like we were just trying to do any drugs we could get our hands on. So we we're trying to, we we're doing ecstasy and ketamine and we we're binge drinking alcohol like almost every night during the summers and stuff. And um, so we are just, we were, we, were kind of, we were kind of fiending, you know, and I, I had a I had a major like If I wasn't getting high that day, it was like all I thought about was like, how am I going to get high today? You know, and I wasn't really studying or doing school or anything. Um, And at the time I started, I started looking into Buddhism and listening to Alan Watts. And uh, that was really cool because it gave some kind of like framework for like what those psychedelic experiences were trying to show and everything. Um, And it opened my mind to some of that stuff. But where it got weird was, uh, so like one of the ways, (laughs) I wound up trying to deal with my insecurity. um, A lot of social anxiety, as most people do, I guess, in high school. Is uh, I got really into this band, The Doors, which was uh, a band from the '60s, headed by Jim Morrison. Um, Some, some, some of you will know. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, my parents. uh, The reason I got into it was my parents rented the Oliver Stone movie about him. It's like a biographical movie where an actor is like playing him and everything, and. I'd never heard of the doors or jim morrison until that movie so it's kind of dumb on my parents (laughs) because that guy like instantly became like my number one role model i I wanted to be exactly like him and how did he live you know it was just like sex and drugs and heroin and lsd and you know he wound up overdosing on heroin i never got into heroin luckily because i had a pretty addictive personality um anyways he became like my role model and uh one day in like around the end of like 11th grade or something I was, uh, I was skipping school every day to do ketamine, which is commonly referred to as like uh, animal tranquilizer, like you snort it. And it's kind of like you get as drunk as you could possibly be um, without actually having to drink alcohol or throw up or get a hangover. So it's like it's very disorienting, you walk around, and you can hardly walk, and it's just kind of like funny, I guess, it's not, it doesn't really feel good or anything. Um, but it also like completely eliminates fear and anxiety. So they're actually using it like medically right now to uh treat like phobias so like if you're afraid of spiders like you can put a spider in your hand and you're just like oh a spider you know <laughs> and then uh gradually you lose your fear of that thing supposedly so i found that i could do it and like go to school and not have social anxiety and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing i feel invincible and uh after like seven days or two weeks or something in a row of this you know, every day doing ketamine like at lunch and stuff um, I'm in my buddy's house, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm wearing a Doors shirt that I had with a big face of the singer, Jim Morrison, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm really high on ketamine, and I'm just thinking in my head, like, how can I make this feeling of not having social anxiety last? Like, I want to feel invincible like this all the time, not just when I'm on ketamine. And I look at this guy's face and I look at my face and I start to like hallucinate that like, I look just like him. Like it's like molding my face and his to look exactly the same. And I'm like, and I'm just reading about Buddhism. And so I'm like, Oh, what if I convinced myself that I was Jim Morrison in my past life, then I would feel like I'm really cool and talented and everything. And I'd feel like a sense of confidence. Right. And uh, at the time we'd also been really getting into conspiracy theories and reading about the Illuminati controlling the whole world and everything, and and I just thought like, and even just the watching the news, watching the climate change stuff, like all this stuff was basically telling me like the world's gonna end by 2020. Like the climate scientists are saying the world's gonna end by 2020. The Illuminati conspiracy theorists are saying that a fake war with Russia, which is oddly kind of happening now, is gonna, <laughs> is gonna happen and create World War III for like population control. It's so like everything I'm reading is telling me 2020 the world's gonna end. And so in my head, I'm like, "What's the point of like going to school? What's the point of trying to make it in society if the world's, world's going to end in like 10 years?" And, uh, um, but when I had this vision, I was like, "Oh, if I had this confidence that like I'm carrying from my past life all this extra talent and everything." Um, I'll have the confidence to do something about this, to start a revolution or to become a famous musician who has a big voice and can change things. And so I just decided then on ketamine, like, I'm going to convince myself that I'm the continuation of Jim Morrison (laughs) and uh, came off the ketamine and and just, it became like all my thoughts all the time, um, was just trying to convince myself of this and it, it really did seem to have some huge confidence boost on me. So that was kind of cool, but it required me to like self rationalize all the time. And the other thing that started happening then was, uh, I'd been taking uh, antidepressants around that time. And uh, i had been taking like a bigger dose than you're supposed to, because I thought if the dose they prescribe takes you from depressed to normal, then maybe a big dose will take you from depressed to like really, really happy and ecstatic, <laughs> which is not really how they work. Um, but I didn't know was that Prozac, uh, one of the side effects could be psychosis. Mm. And so on top of all these recreational drugs, which I've been doing for a few years now, I'm like mega dosing a prescription drug that can cause psychosis. And so I think that was like kind of tied into this whole like fantasy that like I'm this continuation of this famous guy. Um, now I'm starting to believe like, I'm just really trying to think of everything I can to convince myself, like I could become a famous musician singer who's going to start a revolution that saves the world and now i've got a really got to convince myself of that or i'm going to feel really stupid trying to pursue it because that's like obviously a really crazy goal so i convince myself that you know oh maybe there's uh, aliens who are guiding me or maybe there's gods that chose me and put me on earth and and i, I start thinking all this crazy stuff like that and um and so I'm basically like starting to enter psychosis. I've got like, you know, the delusions, of grandeur and everything, totally. um, and I basically go a whole summer where I'm like doing LSD and everything like with this psychosis starting to build. And ironically, it was a really fun summer, <laughs> but, uh, the next, uh, fall when I go back to school for my last year of high school, um, I have this experience where me and two friends do LSD together and, uh, basically learn to be telepathic with each other which like was 100% real, like we verified it after Uh, we weren't like so extremely high on LSD that like we were hallucinating that we were using telepathy when really we were talking like we were nowhere near like that kind of dose or something. But we really were able to like send the energy of our thoughts to each other as sounds and pictures and stories and emotions. And actually it's funny enough, it started with something that was more like just me pulsing my chi, which I like, I didn't know what chi was or anything, but I'm sitting there in this room with them and know you know i'm still like even though i've got all these delusions of grandeur like underneath that i'm still this like super insecure guy who doesn't feel like he deserves any of his friends or anything and uh i'm sitting there and i the LSD kicks in and i get this vision that i'm like made of gold and i'm like some kind of like egyptian statue or something or god or something and i'm like oh wow i feel really like powerful and divine right now maybe i can finally get some respect around here you know and i <laughs> And I like, really want them to like see how powerful in the mind I am. And with that will, I just, I just pulse this golden light into the room. Mm-hmm. And, it, and my, my friends are like, whoa. And they look around, it's like literally bouncing off the walls. Like I ba- I shot my chi field out of the, into the room and it's literally bouncing off the walls of this place. And uh, it's not like I said anything when this happened. And I just, I just, you know, shot the chi out and they saw it. And, and that was what started it. And then we just started sending all kinds of stuff to each other and we spent like, you know, three or four, I don't even know how long it was, but it was basically literally the whole LSD trip, which usually lasts like eight hours or something. Um, and so I kind of come out of that, and uh, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> like, where does telepathy begin and end? Like, how does that work? Can I do it just on LSD? Or will it happen when I'm smoking weed? Or can it just happen anytime now? Am I just psychic now? And uh, at first I just use it to like feed the delusions more. I'm like, oh cool, I'm a psychic now. So now I'm really obviously the chosen one and everything, you know, and, um trying to use it to like get girls and stuff. And <laughs> the ego uh, came back. Yeah, I just went right right to the ego. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but then at some point it just turned to paranoia. It was like, wait, can I use it anytime? Like, does it maybe it works when I'm high? And, Do I really have any control over it? Like, what if I just like opened up some part of my brain and it's just, my thoughts are just leaking out all the time everywhere I go, everyone's just hearing my thoughts all the time. And uh, once that paranoia came up, it just kind of like merged with like that underlying insecurity I had, like, and just turned into this whole really painful experience where like going to sleep at night, I thought all my neighbors in the neighborhood were hearing my thoughts. And, And then I'd start hearing other people's thoughts, like them telling me like, get the fuck out of my head or we're going to come over there and kill you. Like, we're so sick of hearing your thoughts. And, uh, (laughs) and I was just like, and in normal life, like going to school and stuff, like I would think like, Oh my gosh, people aren't looking at me because they can hear my thoughts and they don't want me to know because it's so awkward that they're just going to look away from me all the time, you know? But then if they looked at me, it's like, Oh my gosh, they looked at me because they can hear. So it didn't matter what people did. It was proof that they were hearing my thoughts, you know, so.
0: Yeah, it's the impossible task to yeah. exist in that way.
1: Yeah. And I didn't want to ask anybody because I, I was just so embarrassed and humiliated about the whole thing. It was like, you know, the whole like, don't think of an elephant and like the thing that comes up in your mind is an elephant. So it's like, don't think of all the most embarrassing things you never want anyone to know about. And that was all you could think about.
0: <laughs> so. so it was psychosis that led you to Qigong. Is that what you're leading us to? <laughs>
1: It was a long road from there to Qigong. so let's see. So I wound up going to a mental hospital uh, because I stopped going to school. And uh, my parents figured out I wasn't going to school and they're like, what the heck's going on? And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm psychic or crazy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, crazy. So they take me to the mental hospital and uh, stayed there for a couple of weeks and I was put on antipsychotics. Um, and the thing I found really weird about it was the uh, psychiatrist like really didn't believe that telepathy was possible, yeah. and so even though I knew I was pretty sure like a lot of it was I was paranoid, I knew that that initial experience and I would actually had a second experience where I did LSD by myself. I, I was trying to self medicate. I thought I could like fix myself with it, and I wound up sending a telepathic message to a friend like all the way across town, and he went online and typed it into his social media, like everything that he saw that I showed him. And I went on social media later. I hadn't talked to him, I didn't call him or anything. I go on social media, I see there every little detail of this like vision I sent him. And I was like, oh my gosh, that really was real. So I knew that I had real experience of it, at least while on LSD, but I didn't really know what was going on when I wasn't high, which got very confusing because it, in that psychotic state, it got to the point where like, it kind of always felt like I was on LSD. Um, Because like, I'd go to bed, and I'd be hallucinating and like all this stuff. I felt this like sense of like openness all the time. Like I never, I felt like my energy system was just completely open. I didn't know how to explain that feeling. Mm-hmm. Other than, oh, this must be telepathy. Um, later, I learned I just had like a, you know, very open like aura and stuff, and I you know went up learning qigong to kind of seal things off and everything. Right, exactly. So it uh, was really more more so, like um,
0: a... some of our limitations are useful. <laughs> yeah,
1: they are. So when I learned qigong with Lee, he basically I basically learned that I, my ability, while not high on LSD, was a little more on the side of like an empath, like just very energetically sensitive, but not necessarily like sending and receiving like on the mental plane, it was more like energetic and emotional plane, <laughs> uh, which she going was like very helpful for. Um, and uh, it turned out I <laughs> had pretty pretty good abilities as like a energy healer, being able to feel my way into other people's energy. Um, but obviously that doesn't have much effect when like your energy is just like paranoia and fear all the time. But once I learned to kind of cultivate good chi, that became a pretty like natural ability. But uh Anyway, so I go to the mental hospital and I'm like trying to tell them like, hey, look, I, like, I actually still have like a very rational mind and like we could just do this scientifically. So how about like I just draw like a shape or a number on this piece of paper. I'll try to send it to you with my mind and you try to guess it. And if you can guess like three in a row, then I'm probably using telepathy. And if you can't guess any of them, then or you only guess like one out of three, then maybe I'm not. And they, I think uh, maybe their protocol or something made it so they couldn't like do that kind of thing. Um, but they just basically just sort of, like roll their eyes. Like every psychiatrist I talked to would just be like, okay, like we already know telepathy is not real. So we, just, we know everything you've experienced is just, you're crazy and you've done too many drugs. And so I found that kind of weird, um, but I was really happy to be getting medicated. Cause it was like kind of closing off this like open energy feeling and hallucinations and everything. Um, So I was like, happy to do it. Um, I just thought it'd be nice to be like treated like a rational person. But, uh, while I was there, uh, my mom knew that I had been like, kind of into Buddhism and stuff. And so she brought me a book on like how to meditate Mm -hmm. and while I'm in there, I'm like, well, these people don't want to help me to fix myself in any way, except to give me these pills. And, uh, I'd really like something I can do for myself. So I thought, okay, well, I've just been reading about Buddhism, but now I'm going to actually practice the meditation. Mm And so i got really into it and uh i ended up doing the only technique i knew was to like listening like having a sound that you listen to and just putting your mind on that and so i'd go once i got out of the mental hospital i would go to this river near my parents house and just sit next to the river and listen to the sound of the river my mind would wander away and i'd come back to the river wander away come back to the river and i did that for like several hours a day for like six months straight because i didn't really know anything else to do and uh <clears throat> Didn't get any benefit out of it whatsoever (laughs) until the very last time I did it basically, where finally like I always came out of it like I'm not more relaxed, I'm not more focused, the voices are still there, I'm still paranoid. But the when I finally like strengthened my focus enough, it got to the point where like every bit of thought and distraction finally actually completely went away. And I only heard the sound of this river for might have been like a minute at most, I think. Um, and the way I explained what happened is because all my thoughts had went away, there's no like conscious thoughts. It made like a vacuum. And what filled that vacuum was all the stuff stored in my unconscious. So all that insecurity that led to me having all that social anxiety, everything I hated about myself or felt guilty or ashamed of all of it just came to the surface condensed into one archetype, like this, like disgusting looking like demon mutant thing. And. And at first it came up as this is me and for just a split second. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is this is what I'd be terrified of, like seeing myself, like who I really am. And then and it, it, as quickly as it came up, it came off like a mask. And mm-hmm. it was like, no, this is just a mask you've been wearing because, you know, people picked on you and told you this is who you were and everything. But this can go away. And underneath the mask, I just saw like every bit of me that was worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And I just like cried for like twenty minutes and <laughs> poured snot into the river, and uh, <laughs> um, and so it was really cool. What's that?
0: The river within.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Flowing out.
1: Yeah. So it was kind of cool for me because it verified what I suspected, which was that since all my friends are all doing the same drugs and eating the same crappy food and living the same stupid lifestyle, and they didn't go psychotic. And so I knew that that for me, it was like, I had some underlying beliefs, I had some underlying trauma or something that was what made it that I was psychotic. Like it wasn't just some kind of brain, you know, chemical imbalance or something, because all my friends were extremely (laughs) chemically imbalanced. So I knew there was something like that going on. And so kind of verified that it didn't like heal everything, but it did point me in the right direction. And uh, after that, I actually had a really hard time trying to meditate again because I'd sit down and, and like, okay, I'm going to meditate. And as soon as my mind would start to get quiet, I'd get really scared because I was like, is another demon going to come out of me or something. <laughs> and uh, I had a really hard time focusing. So luckily around the same time, uh, my mom, who I guess is like my savior, um, like finally convinced me to try a yoga class.
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, in my head, I just imagined yoga as like my mom, or like a bunch of like middle-aged old ladies like. <laughs> Just like kind of rolling around on the floor, you know? <laughs> I just imagine the whole thing was like laying down and stuff. And so she takes me to like a level two Anusara class, which is like a really hard yoga class, especially if it's your first one. And I'm all like overweight. I, I went from like 150 to 225 pounds because the antipsychotics make you fat and uh, make you eat a lot. Um, so I have all this extra body weight and it's like a body weight based like exercise routine. And so I have all this extra weight to like hold up and I had not like exercised in like five years cause I quit all the sports I did as a kid so I could do drugs. And um, I go into this yoga class and it's like this female teacher and there's all these women around me and they're all just having this easy time going through everything. And I'm like shaking the whole time and absolutely pouring sweat. It's not even a hot yoga class. And I'm just, just making a puddle yeah. on the yoga mat. But I get to the end and I'm like, Wow, this is the first time I felt relaxed in, I don't even remember how long, Mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't believe how good I felt, and it felt like the sweat had, like, pulled all these toxins out of my body, and the energy in my body felt so good, I couldn't believe how good I felt, and so I got absolutely addicted, like, right away, and Mm -hmm. wound up, uh, I was kind of embarrassed to go back to the yoga studio, because I felt like I made such a fool of myself, so I wound up getting a bunch of DVDs, and doing it at home every day, and (laughs) got really into that, and Seemed to be really helpful. And that that I think that was what allowed me to get off the antipsychotics was mm-hmm. this practice of like really getting in my body and out of my mind and learning mm-hmm. to actually let go and relax and shavasana actually took me to this point where when usually my psychotic episodes at this point were just coming at night when I'm like going to bed and stuff. And uh, got me to this point where when it happened, I was just like, oh, what if I just did what I do in yoga and I just surrender and let go and relax, even though it's really scary. And that's all. Ironically, that's what you need to do when you take a psychedelic like mushrooms or LSDs. If you fight it, you get a nightmare. And if you surrender to it, it's usually something healing and profound. And so the same thing would happen in the psychotic state. Or if I just let go, I'd have bliss moving through my body. I'd have my chakras opening. I would all the voices that would normally be t- like telling me what a piece of crap I am and making make me all scared those would completely go away. I'd switch from auditory to visual. And instead I'd have like beautiful visions of, um, usually like native American art or, or Hindu gods would be forming themselves in front of me. And, and, uh, usually it would, like match, which chakra was opening, like different energy centers opening would create different gods and goddesses in front of me. And so it become like extremely beautiful and blissful. And, uh, so I really credit yoga for allowing me to do that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, got, I was able to get off the antipsychotics and even though that increased the number of psychotic episodes, I kind of learned to roll with them and stuff and, mm-hmm. um, and eventually they mostly just stopped happening. And, uh, the funny part was while I'm, this is like a four year period where, you know, two years I'm on antipsychotics and I get off them because of yoga and stuff. And and then two years, I'm still doing yoga and going to school and everything. And, uh, uh, the ironic part is, even though I'm doing yoga and like a whole huge part of yoga, Buddhism, and everything is like, oh, like watch your diet because that'll influence your mind. I completely like don't hear that part for like four years straight, even though I'm like obsessed with this stuff, and I'm literally just eating McDonald's, KFC, takeout, Burger King, three meals a day usually every day, and uh, just totally poisoning my body. And my body had already been really poisoned by the antipsychotics. Like as soon as I started taking them. My whole back and shoulders broke out in like really cystic acne and boils and everything. And uh, my face developed eczema and uh, I got really overweight and impotent. Like my sex drive just completely disappeared, which was a real problem because I had a really insecure girlfriend at the time who didn't take that very well. And uh, I got like a lot of emotional, I had a lot of anger problems and depression and brain fog. I couldn't think straight anymore. And these problems just lasted as even once the um, pills were gone. Some of them went away like half, but a lot of them just completely stayed as though I was still on the meds uh, for years. And uh, it was really odd. One day, a friend of mine was just like, oh, like, have you tried like this, uh, like raw vegan diet or something? Like there's all alkaline acid thing. And I was like, what? Like, why would what you eat have to do with your acne and your brain fog and everything and and uh but once i looked into it i was like oh my gosh i can't believe i didn't even think of this like why have i been eating all this crap like it seemed like the most obvious thing and i i couldn't believe i didn't think of it um but so i got really obsessed with uh nutrition and i think a lot of the stuff made things worse at first like i already had really weak digestion and so eating all these like raw vegetables and everything i think might have actually been worse for me than mcdonald's yeah <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at least I got into it nonetheless and, uh, really pursued that for a, a long time. And
0: seems like it comes in layers, right? Like your body could handle coming off the meds maybe,
1: yeah.
0: but not coming off the meds and cleaning up the diet all at once. That could have been a little bit. too Yeah. Well, I
1: went two years where I was off meds and eating crappy food <laughs> before mm-hmm. I realized I should change my diet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, around that time, um, I'd like just gotten out of this four year relationship. That was kind of crazy. Um, and kind of was a part of what led to all the fast food. Like I didn't grow up in a fast food family, but, uh, hanging out with this ate fast food all the time. That was what I was eating. And, uh, Oh, she was very helpful in other ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I got out of this relationship and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm, this is my chance to like hit the reset button and change everything. So I actually quit school. I was going to business school and I took the little tuition money I could get back from them. And I put that towards doing a yoga teacher training and I went and did a 10 day Vipassana retreat where you're on a mm-hmm. vegan diet and not talking to anybody and meditating 10 hours a day. And, um, so I was really like turning things around I, like became a vegan for a while. And um, But uh, during this uh, yoga teacher training, uh, we we're doing like, you know, hours of power vinyasa like every day. And, Um, I'm on this vegan diet, which I don't think was very good for me I don't think I was absorbing any of the protein in the food and I think my joints were like weakened Possibly because of that and I put that with like doing this extra yoga every day like more than I was used to And all of a sudden like all my connective tissues are falling apart getting tendonitis like everywhere Uh, you know joints are like bending the wrong directions and stuff and uh, and uh, But I'm not listening to my body. I have this amazing yoga teacher. I still uh, uses programs and talk to him and stuff to this day. And he's his whole, like 90% of what he's teaching, not 90%, but like the main thing he's trying to teach everybody is like, listen to your body. It's going to tell you when you're injuring yourself, you have to listen to it. Don't let your ego push you to hurt yourself. And uh, I'm, I'm like, just completely ignoring that because mostly because I'm in this room full of like 25 beautiful women. And it's like I'm like one, I'm like one of like three guys <laughs> really trying to impress everybody. So I don't want to be the guy like doing the easier variation or sitting out of exercises and stuff. I'm like 22 at the time. So I'm really done. And uh, um, so I come back from that and I'm like certified and I'm like ready to start this new career and this new life. And, but I can't do yoga anymore without Further injuring myself, and, mm. and I'm like, oh man, what do I do? And a few weeks before this, um, I'd been working at a gym, like cl- cleaning, and uh, the acupuncturist who like worked there, who also happened to be the he taught like Baguazhang, which is this like qigong based martial art. I, I didn't really understand what it was at the time. I just knew he taught some weird martial art. Um, he was like, "Oh, if you like yoga, I bet you're gonna love qigong." And so he sends me an email with this like seven minute. Qigong routine that was by, it was like a YouTube by my teacher, Lee, who became my teacher. And, uh, and so once I realized I can't do yoga anymore for a while, didn't know how long, it wound up being like three or four years. Um, I'm like, well, I guess I'll try this Qigong thing. And I try it and it's just a seven minute routine, right? Just literally just moving slowly and breathing deeply. Like not really any stretching, not any building the agony fire or getting in any weird posture. So I couldn't believe how subtle it was, but how amazing I felt like just seven minutes, I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever felt this calm after even like an hour and a half of yoga and meditation and pranayama. Like it was like the thing that my nervous system just absolutely couldn't, uh, like nothing compared to it really. And I remember going to bed after that. Um, and just feeling like my whole body's made of cotton, which uh, turns out to be the thing like you're actually aiming for in Chigog is big like this cotton body or whatever. But uh, I had this wart on the bottom of my foot that I'd had for a couple years or something. I did every treatment. I got it cut off. I got it frozen. I got it burned. I got it uh, duct taped. I got it creams. Like nothing was working. And I'm just laying in bed, I'm like, oh, what if I just like, you know, send this weird feeling to that wart? And I just kind of breathed into my foot and, until my foot was vibrating with what felt like this white mist or something. And I and, uh, kind of fell asleep while I was doing that. And when I woke up, this huge wart that was like super deep roots into the sole of my foot and like maybe an inch or two across in diameter. and just totally ugly, like an open wound. It was as though it had never been there. It was like totally brand new skin on the bottom of my foot, as though nothing had ever happened to it. Wow. I was like, holy crap. I can't, I can't believe that happened that quickly overnight. Of course, nobody believed me when I <laughs> told them, but uh, I was very sold on Qigong, obviously. And then uh, I got a bunch of DVDs and stuff. And I guess, again, this was my mom. She saw I was interested in it. She's like, oh, I'll get him this box set because she'll be the Lee Holden's box set with like six different videos and meditations and a workbook and everything. And so I just like dove right into it and, and I loved how, uh, so much of it was like all this nature imagery and everything was named after animals and everything. And it just really resonated with, um, part of me that was really into that. So I got very into it for a while and, uh, after maybe about a year of practicing on my own, I, I realized that, uh, Lee was doing, you could do a one-on-one with him on Skype. And, uh, so I, Book it and it's very expensive, but it was worth it. Um, because when I talk to him, I'm like, hey, so like I, you know, I had psychosis and uh, sometimes I still have little episodes. And I was just wondering if, you know, there's any like Qigong for this kind of thing. And, and he's all the way in California and I'm in Toronto. We're like on opposite ends of the continent. And but he can kind of, I don't know if it's from like hearing my voice and the way I talk or just what I'm saying or if he's just literally feeling my chi from that far. But he's like, oh, you know what? Your aura is very porous. Like you basically, your aura is just leaky. And so people's energy goes in and out of you really easily. Mm-hmm. And you're basically just confusing that for like being able to hear their thoughts. Because you feel very sensitive. And you have this experience with telepathy. And so you associate in your mind when you feel energetically sensitive, that must be telepathy. But really it's just more on the feeling level. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And he taught me this Qigong where basically like you build some Chi and then you put it in your aura and then you compact your aura, you make it like denser and thicker. And, and while I'm doing it with them on Skype, like I'd never felt my Chi so strongly as when we were doing it together, like all of a sudden there's like this really palpable magnetic field is around my body and my hands can touch it and squeeze it and manipulate it. And I never felt anything like it doing a year of qigong just using DVDs. And so he tells me like, yeah, when you do it with a teacher, um, you usually progress like 10 times as fast because their energy is like in the room and they're increasing the feeling even though he's like on the other side of the planet or the continent and uh so he suggests that i like come to his teacher training and i'm like okay i'll think about it and maybe half a year or a year later i went up going and doing his teacher training and um it was just like a two-week program but i really felt that same thing there like when i was there in person with him the chi was so much stronger and we're doing this all in California in Santa Cruz this beautiful beach town with redwoods and all this gorgeous nature and i just really fell in love with it so i thought wow like if i really want to finish healing my body and my mind like this seems like the place to be and so i go home and i pack up all my stuff and i go to California with no plan really um I, everything winds up panning out i get a job with him which turns into more of like an internship apprenticeship kind of thing and all these incredible Qigong masters come through his center and I get to learn under a bunch of them and yeah. some of them had crazy powers like the ability to electrocute you with their body and blast out the uh, blockages in you. It's Lee wound up training in that and he electrocuted me by accident a few times. It was <laughs> quite painful. Like one time uh, I didn't even know this power existed at first. He was training in it secretly mm-hmm. and I had a boil, a boil on my arm and uh, a boil is like an infection. That's, it's kind of like a pimple, but like 10 times as big.
0: Mm-hmm
1: And uh, I'm giving him a massage because par- part of what he was doing, he was teaching me uh, body work and stuff, and so I'm practicing on him what he's teaching me. And uh, this electric shock comes out of his body through my thumb. It basically goes up my lung channel, right into this boil, which is on the lung channel. And uh, you can still see it if you can see it on this, but I got all these scars from all this stuff. Um, but the boil—it's—it was so strong the electricity that it felt like someone was holding a lit cigarette against my arm. Like it really burned. It was just, I guess it was just burning the infection away that I was in there. And uh, I didn't say anything to Lee about it at first, uh, but I go home and I get just like the same thing. The next day it was like the boil had never been there, just completely disappeared. And this was another thing i had for like weeks. And uh, and then it was like months or maybe a couple of years later, like Lee's telling me like, oh yeah, I've been training in this electricity thing. And I'm like, oh, you like totally electrocuted me be by accident one time (laughs) that was pretty wild yeah but uh yeah so while i was there it it took a few years like i I basically trained under him for three and a half years uh, before i went off and did my own thing and started teaching and everything full time but during that time like he hooked me up with amazing chinese medicine practitioners who helped me with herbs and uh, i was doing qigong like one or two hours a day, because I'm like taking all those workshops, like 18 times and everything. And it just really brought everything together. And I didn't, I didn't get 100%. Like I really still to this day, I have to be extremely careful what I eat and staying on top of my qigong practice to like maintain uh, my like emotional and physical and mental well being. But it, it got me to the point where it wasn't like 90% of the time I like I'm in some horribly dysregulated state. And like it's the exception that I feel good and can think clearly and don't have skin diseases all over me. Now it's the opposite. Ninety percent of the time, yeah. everything's great. Ten percent, I'm having problems like everybody else, you know. Right. But uh, it's just I couldn't be more grateful to Lee because he completely took me under his wing. And uh, just one one thing he gave me that even you know qigong and like all this stuff is great, but one thing that's really hard to replace for a young person is having a mentor because uh, I really you know I had a father who's extremely like emotionally distant and everything. So I was always kind of like yearning for this kind of like male mentor figure. Mm-hmm. And, and Lee just really took me under his wing and showed me not just how to do qigong and everything, but how to be a man and interact with people as like a normal person and everything. And, wow. and it And was incredible to follow just as a human being because yeah, yeah. I got to see a lot behind the scenes him being a father and a, a partner and a friend and a business person and, and just that, that that beautiful charisma and everything that comes out of him in qigong like that doesn't go away when the cameras turn off like mm-hmm. he's really the real deal when all that goes away like he is an incredibly like generous caring kind-hearted person with really living that qigong promise that like you're gonna have tons of energy and mm-hmm. low stress like mm-hmm. that guy like you never see him get phased like he never stresses out he's always calm and patient and he always has a ton of energy like he's always Mountain biking, working hard on his business, taking care of his kids, and he never stresses out about it. It's really the coolest yeah. thing to, to watch. He's really
0: playful too and hum- yeah. humorous. I love his stories. And yeah, yeah it's just, I just, yeah, w- we were talking recently with a group that um, I host. We're studying some of his material, and um, I was just thinking what a phenomenon he is. You know, how the universe chooses certain people to yeah. op- be a doorway for. Something and he's been that one that's been the doorway for qigong for many many people all over the world and yeah. um, he does it so <laughs> impeccably and with with such integrity and so thank you for sharing your story so beautifully yeah. and um, sorry, beautiful. sorry if it
1: was too long in detail
0: <laughs> yeah it was this really um, transparent and your vulnerability and your willingness and you know if it helps anyone that's just the main objective here is to share information that's helpful. Um, One of the things that I really admire about you and your path is all the teachers you've studied with, you know, as you mentioned with Lee, but also um, just in the short time you were at 1440, there were a lot of masters that came through there and you were able
1: to participate.
0: Yeah, I was like, that was a dream job. I couldn't believe you left it, but no, I yeah. understand.
1: There's a funny story behind that, too. It was actually my first real job teaching Qigong. Because for three and a half years in California, when I moved there, and I'm interning with Lee and kind of working for him on videos and everything to make a living. And I'm really trying. Like, I thought like I didn't try to be a Qigong teacher during that time. Like, I was really trying and applying at all the yoga studios, like a bunch of t- like repeatedly, the same yoga studio I'd go to apply it. In, and they always tell me, ah, you know, we've had Qigong, we didn't make any money, or people think it's weird, or oh, you don't really teach anywhere else, so why should we hire you? It's like, well, somewhere's gotta be the first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: But uh, I wound up like the, the best I could do was like, I would teach on the beach. And I'd put it on like meetup.com and stuff and Facebook and just anybody would show up and I'd get like, you know, one or two people and they literally donate like one dollar.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I did that for a while. And uh, and then when Lee, but I did get a lot of teaching experience, luckily, because every time like Lee traveled a lot. And so was, he had three classes a week that he'd be away from like half the time. And, you know, mm-hmm. like at least 50 percent of the time I'd get to sub those like I. I, I I was kind of managing who was subbing because I was like the manager of the center. So I try not to like put myself in all the time, um, just to be fair to other people who wanted to sub, but I did get to get a lot of experience with uh, an audience that was like really not excited for me to be there <laughs> because- I understand that. World famous Lee Holden was supposed to be right. here. Where is he today? And yeah. you know, I'm like, well, it's me teaching, but you know, I'll try my best. And so I really, it was really like kind of training with a weight vest on, you know, you got a little extra resistance. So I thought that was really good for me in the long run
0: exactly and
1: uh, people did wind up getting sold on me they're like well if nick's subbing i'll go
0: exactly Um, yeah i would go yeah you're excellent
1: but my first place that really trusted me enough to hire me was uh 1440 which is this like for those who haven't heard of it it's like this really nice like premium retreat center where like google and facebook and apple and everybody takes their employees for like amazing mindfulness retreats and everything and it's a really cool spot But they were just opening, and when they were having their job fair and hiring people, they still hadn't even finished construction. And it just, I I opened the newspaper on the day of their job fair, like an hour before it was over, to see their ad saying there's a job fair that ends in an hour. We're looking for movement instructors. And I was like, whoa, movement? They're not just saying yoga? Like, usually everyone just wants a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I got to go there. So I rushed and print out a resume and head over there. this huge line like 90% made of yoga teachers so <laughs> waiting to teach there. And I get to the front of the line finally. And they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, "Oh, I teach qigong. And they're like, Oh, thank goodness, we're looking for qigong teachers. And I was like, nowhere's ever said that this is amazing.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, so they hire me. And so our job, they did hire a bunch of yoga teachers, but they had like three qigong teachers there, which is very unusual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, all of our jobs was when people were there for their retreat with this or that master or meditation retreat or whatever that they had little movement classes that they could attend to try different things or, you know, just have a little fun in between classes and stuff. So that's what we did there. And I, I did it for, I guess like three or four years before the pandemic hit. And, uh, yeah, you're like, I got amazing benefits. Like, you know, all these Qigong masters were coming teaching retreats and I got to take free retreats with them and everything. And so it was very cool. And, uh, but the best part was what, because that place was on my resume, Finally the yoga studios and everything were willing to hire me because they're like, oh we still don't know about Qigong, but if 1440 wants you, you must be pretty good. So <laughs> uh, all of a sudden it was really easy to get gigs and literally yeah. within the space of a month I went from teaching that one class on the beach to teaching 12 classes a week and I had to I had to quickly find somebody to replace me for working for Lee and to switch to get a car i didn't have a car at the time i needed to be able to drive around all these spots and to really reorganize quickly to
0: things a, have uh, sure changed now i would i would say that all the yoga studios will be lining up for you wanting <laughs> <Yeah>. wanting to <you laughs> yeah. come to their Maybe.
1: studio Maybe. yeah really them my youtube or something
0: yeah well i don't think you'll have to send it i mean it's getting out there i mean you're just really yeah, yeah. there's a there's a reason, you know, that your community's grown so much. And, you know, even the teacher training that you offer, I just think um, I'm interested in it because I know what you bring is a combination of so many different teachers and masters that it's not a single tradition. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate and respect tradition, but I'm not a traditionalist. I'm an integrator. So I'm attracted to what you bring because it is such a creative blend of different traditions and, um, the way that you transmit it through your voice, your presence, and the places in nature and the way that it's packaged is just really a jewel and a gem. And I'm oh, really, you. yeah, really proud of you. Now, you know, I've heard your story before, but not as in much, this much detail. And um, I could spend a lot of time going back to different parts and and sharing some things that came up for me intuitively, but I'll save that for another time when we can connect in private, but, um, thank you so much for this journey that you're on. And it does remind me of a movie. I don't know if you've seen it called crazy wise. Mm
1: -hmm. Never heard of it. Sorry.
0: You may want to look it up. It's about people like yourself who go through psychotic experiences and they realize that, um, they're not crazy. They're just a shaman and that they didn't have the right community around them to recognize what they were going through. And so it's sort of like, you know, in the movie, they show where different people that go through these experiences um, of being shattered and coming back together, do find the right mentors to help them explain what they went through and to help them bring their gifts to the world, which feels like what Lee was for you.
1: Mm, yeah, that's, that's about right.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think uh, another great Joseph Campbell quote was a, uh, the shaman swims in the same water that the psychotic drowns.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, funny. Was, I just, as soon that, as I
1: heard that, I was like, wow, yeah, it really is like I'm underwater. <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was a better metaphor that I think he even meant to make, because uh, <laughs> it did feel like I was in a sea of energy and uh, didn't know how to navigate that sea.
0: That's really funny you say that, because in my last interview, I said that, but I said... Hmm. I quoted it as it was Carl Young who said. Was it Carl Young who said that? Well, I don't know now, oh, okay. but I, I <laughs> thought it was, it. and I thought he said what the psychotics are drowning in, the mystics are swimming in. So same yeah. same thing, different yeah. wording, but yeah, yeah. maybe
1: maybe, uh, maybe Campbell got it from Young,
0: or whatever. It's like. Yeah. You and I are both resonating with that for a reason. And um, there's going to be, you know, there is a lot of people drowning right now in psychotic material that need to be, you know, guided by mystics that can swim in that chaotic energy because you've been through this coming apart and using tools to bring yourself back in to alignment and now share and transmit that to others. This is, you know, this is leadership, right? This is, where you've positioned yourself now is to be. I hope so, yeah. Well, it's that apparent a, to me. Was, it really, it really was in a lot of ways.
1: What got me through it was thinking, when I come out of this on the other side, I'm going to show other people how to do this. And mm-hmm. that, that thought really keeps you going. Yeah. When it's really hard. It's like at least it's hard for a reason. So. Yeah. I'm, I I really hope that that is something close to what I'm accomplishing now yes. or in the future.
0: I'm just grateful you didn't make it into the 27 Club. Do you know what that is?
1: (laughs) The people who die by 27. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) that's actually funny enough. That's when Jim Morrison died the heroin overdose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That was a lot of famous people. A lot of famous people die at 27. Right. So weird, huh? I think it's more happens. Well, I don't want to say that, but I think a lot of people it happens to. It happens because of the Saturn return
0: I was going to say that yeah, yeah. Where it's
1: like you're, it's kind of a point I guess in our biology or something it was programmed in where you're kind of stepping a little more into like an adult mature responsibility focused like role in life and so if you've kind of built your life around like oh I'm a rock star and like my whole point is like let my inner child out and just have fun and be like a monkey on stage you know like um it can be very depressing getting to the point where it's like, oh, like my looks are starting to fade, my energy levels are be- like. It's not like you like completely become an old man at twenty seven, but you know the thing that's kind of when the testosterone levels like gradually begin their little decline that happens year by year with age. I think it makes a lot of people who their whole life has been based around youthfulness very depressed, mm. uh, and I think maybe yeah. they do a little extra heroin uh, for that depression and stuff.
0: Yeah. And also, um, you know, what you had that experience of that uh, demonic kind of energy coming up from the subconscious. Yeah. Not everybody's uh, capable of facing that, right? That right. Can, and so, you know, when you were sharing that, I was thinking about what, a, what an amazing. Um waking dream that was because for most people that happens in dream time where the subconscious is bringing up things to help us see sort of the unfolding mm-hmm. but you had that in a waking dream where you were fully conscious and present right. and, and able to hold space for that and um,
1: it was shocking it was I'm sure it was almost like more powerful than any psychedelic experience I'd had it, it was it was really like um, something coming out of me. It was <laughs> very yeah. strange.
0: Well, I do find that the subconscious is a psychedelic experience because it right. operates on different rep- rules, you know, different right. laws that govern that. Right. So I could go on for hours with you. <laughs> Dick, but, <laughs> yeah, that's very uh, fun. I'm going to honor your time and just let you share anything you'd like our listeners to know about what you're offering, how to reach you and, hard to take on your amazing offers on youtube the free stuff and then
1: yeah um yeah so if you want to do qigong youtube's the best place to follow me um because as you said i got lots of videos on there and they're all i really go out of my way to find really amazing beautiful backgrounds and everything and so they're really fun and that's a great place to go and you can just look just type my name nick lawford you'll find me there because somebody misspelled my ancestor's last name. So I'm the only McLaughlin in the world. I'll put the um, link
0: in the in the description below. There's right. a link.
1: Okay. And then uh if you have TikTok, that's where I post a lot of like mental health stuff. So I share a lot about more about my story, mental illness and little videos with tips and stuff. So you, you can follow me there for that. Uh and then I'm running a retreat this August. It's actually my first retreat I'm going to run that I've ever done. So that'll be really fun. We're actually doing it here in Idaho, which is kind of like the lesser known like little brother of Montana. So like really, really beautiful mountains and crystal clear lakes and rivers, and actually the most hot springs per square mile of anywhere in America. Um, So it's a pretty cool spot and we're renting a big cabin. Um, So don't come if you're, Think you're going to die if you get COVID because it's going to be a bunch of people sharing a cabin together um but uh, it should be really fun and we're doing uh like five animal qigong and some taoist nagong which is kind of like the taoist like meditation system um so that will be really fun my wife is uh cooking for it she's from japan so she'll be doing all kinds of cool japanese dishes not not with sushi or any raw anything but lots of really beautifully done Japanese dishes and she's even trained in traditional Japanese tea ceremony, which she'll do for us. Mm, It'll be a cool retreat. And uh, I also run a teacher training and that one's all online. So um, if you want to do that, uh, it's a little more affordable because it's online and uh, you do it over 12 weeks. You can do it as the group. We do lots of group calls and stuff, or you can do it self-paced and just watch replays and pre-recorded videos and stuff. But uh, you'll find the info on that on my website, nicolafre.com. And for the retreat, you're, you actually got to email us to get the info for that. So just uh, email support at NickLoffrey.com, which I'm sure she'll be nice enough to put in the description as well.
0: Definitely. Thank you. Well, congratulations. I didn't realize you'd gotten married since we met.
1: Uh, yeah, just uh, just two months ago, actually.
0: Oh, my goodness. Maybe. Yeah, we actually only
1: met eight months ago. So. Ah.
0: Oh, it was a, very, a-
1: uh, very quick thing. Wow, uh, that's
0: exciting.
1: As they say, when you know, you know, I guess. Mm. it feels like you know i'm I'm very used to thinking i know things that turn out to be crazy so (laughs) but uh, i did i did meet a very special person so
0: very very happy about it happy for you happy for you both all right thank you you again for your time and thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, yes all the links that you need to reach nick will be here in this video description and i look forward to more conversations like this and Hopefully we'll have Nick back.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you all.